Welcome to Friends and Fables, an interview series on our podcast where we chat with friends new and old about TTRPG and everything in between. I'm your host, mm. Tanner Azanero, and today is a special episode, not just for our interview series, but for our entire podcast as a whole, since my guest today was one of the first voices that I ever heard play D&D <laughs> and is truly an integral <laughs> inspiration for the existence of our show. He has worked as a staff writer and illustrator for College Humor. He's a storyboard artist for the Disney Channel series Big City Greens, where he also voices one of the most important social media influencers <laughs> of our time, Itcha Boy. Uh, he's made endless appearances across many different dropout series. He's the Dunkle and mastermind behind the incredible world of Trini Vale and the heart and soul of lovable characters like Saul Buffo, Zerk Vervain, and Beverly Togold V. Caldwell Tanner. Welcome to the show, sir. Hello, Tanner. Thank you so much for having me. I, I got to say, when you said the first voice I heard, I thought that you were going to reveal that I was somehow your dad. Um, <laughs> well, we share your your last name is my first name, so I yeah. don't know how it would make sense, but there is decent week. If you know what, it would be real integral to Foes and Fables lore if we want to just establish <laughs> you as my father here in this right. moment. So uh, if we got the go ahead on that, I'll go yeah. to my let's, I think let's save it for the end. We want people to like tune in and okay. listen to the whole pod. Yes. We want to like blow end. that load up top, you know? <laughs> Find out at the end if Caldwell Tanner <laughs> is my dad. Uh, everybody keep your fucking fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> we got uh, a whole panel of people here. We got a lot of doctors, a lot of genealogists. We're going to figure this out. Nine out of ten doctors would say, would recommend Caldwell Tanner being my dad. And that other doctor <laughs> is just jealous. <laughs> Yeah, we asked a lot of dentists for some reason. I don't know why we did that, but <laughs> they're the on board doctor. with it. That's the one doctor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> fantastic. Um, well, we're really excited to have you on. Um, to kind of like begin our conversation, mm -hmm. um, as, I, as I said in the intro, your work uh, on NADPOD along with Emily Murph and Jake has become such a you know widespread and beloved piece of art and entertainment that mm -hmm. has had an enormous impact on the TTRBG community and the industry as well. I, I feel like NADPOD was kind of part of the first wave of D&D &D shows kind of hitting their stride and, and kind of setting the foundation for more shows and creators to follow. Um, after having recently celebrated NADPOD's five-year anniversary, congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Um, yeah. Uh, how does it feel to look back on this journey and kind of find yourself among the communities like most, you know, influential and, and well-respected creators? Uh, gosh, um, that's very flattering words. Um, I think, you know, it's, I'm going to have to take a moment. Um, <laughs> I feel like looking back on, on five years, I think we're just excited that we still get to do this. Um, I hate to say anything that is like even remotely uh, related to a grindcore mindset, but like, you know, we're just out there staying humble. We're just out there like making that content and keeping our heads to the <laughs> ground. Uh, but no, I, I do think that like, that's really the joy for me. That's like the continuing joy is knowing like, I get to do this and I get to keep doing this. Um, and that's like what thrills me the most. And like knowing that it's like, 
influenced so many other people and like brought joy to so many other people. It's kind of it's it's like a perpetual Ouroboros right there where I'm I'm excited and thrilled and joyful about what I'm doing and that's making other people happy uh, and I, I can't think of a better life <laughs> or existence to possibly have so yeah um, it rules I guess is what I'm saying uh, it rules to be here uh, and it rules to continue being here and I'm excited for it to continue to rule yeah I mean it's it's you know it's so crazy to me because I I, I feel like um you got you guys really like I, it, it'd be it'd be so funny to me. I feel like I'd, I could ask a billion questions just about, you know, kind of the start of it all and everything. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I know a little bit, but like I, I would imagine that like the expectations of where you thought this would have ended up even, you know, even not like halfway through campaign one have just been so far exceeded in terms of what you guys could have ever expected to have, you know, gotten to at the, at this point. Yeah. I mean, we, we just got back from uh, a tour in Australia and I feel like that was like a real foundational benchmark moment where I just realized I got to play D and D like, fully across the world, mm -hmm. like, you know, dig a hole straight through that far away. Yes. Um, and it was just amazing and a real like bucket list experience. So yeah, it's, I feel like, you know, since it has been five years, I am like looking back a little more, but, um, yeah, I think all of us, the, the, the real like trick that we like to employ is that we like, don't think too much about like where we've been and like what we've achieved is it's for us, it's more just about like continuing to, to get to do more. And like, you know, the excitement of like, doing this every day and and i think you know that's why i also make such a point to to you know uh compliment you guys on the things that you have accomplished because one of the things that it comes through in the show is how genuine and real you, you know it is and and i feel like D and D as a as a uh, uh, creative outlet in that mm -hmm. regard kind of begs that authenticity um and if if that authenticity isn't brought to the table, it shows it, it, it very much shows. And it's just so clear that, you know, as a listener that we just kind of got, have gotten to experience, you know, just the, the most like group of friends sitting down and having a good time at a table as they would with or without microphones. Um, uh, yeah. And, and I mean, just, I will say like, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead and go, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I will say like, even five years in, like, knowing that D and D night is coming up, it just still like fills me with excitement. Also, dread and anxiety because like normally, you know, we're all about to die or something like mm -hmm. that, or you know, there's like big decisions to be made. But like, it's still, you know, it, it has become like a job because of all like the stuff that we do to support the show. Um, but like, just getting to sit down and record is still like the best moment and it's like we've never lost that moment which is like i think the best part about D D in general or about any tabletop is like when you like look at your calendar you're like hell yeah D D night is coming up i'm excited what am i going to do i'm going to spend way too much time looking at my character sheet and looking at like my abilities uh it, it, there's just something so fun about like getting amped and getting prepped for your session and like i we haven't lost that at all so yeah, yeah it's it's great yeah. Yeah. It re it really shows through. Um, 
is there like any ritual things that you bring uh, either to kind of session by session as you guys mm-hmm. record or maybe in a broader sense like campaign to campaign um hmm. that that you kind of bring uh forward in your kind of creative process well it's different i guess for each character um you know i think that like emily spends a lot of time like looking at her spells i um I have like a little like notebook that I use. I use these little like um oh they're called they're called field journals. Mm. Um I think I have one behind me. Yeah. Oh yeah, here's my my Saul Buffo one. Um it's like just like a little field notes. They're called oh, little, they're called field notes, so these little like memo books. Um and like before a session I like to kind of go down and like kind of write little bulleted lists of like everything that happened in the last sessions. Um I write little reminders to myself. I put my like my inventory on a little post-it note. I'm a big post-it note guy. Mm-hmm. I, I like to have like, you know, just post-it notes that I can like put all of the inventory or kind of like stuff that is in flux. Um, dynamic stuff goes on the post-it note. Things that I need to remind myself of or like notes from the session go on the little um the little field note. Uh this has like partially been born of the fact that, you know, in addition to having dice and my character sheet on the table, I also have like recording equipment. Uh, so like it's a real clutter. So I've, I've kind of resorted to using these like tiny little notebooks uh, mm-hmm. and uh, note cards as well. So like for me, the like pre-show ritual is a lot of like getting my note cards and my like notes together uh, and like arranging everything just so. It's got to yeah. be all like laid out. I've got color coded note cards. Um, it's real. It's real dork hours. Uh, uh, leading up to a session of D and D, but like I think that's kind of the the nature and spirit of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, hundred percent. It's funny because I, um, I, uh, I'm kind of the the you know forever DM by choice uh, on our show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have a series called Spyros that Nathan Augustine DMs for that allows me um, finally a moment to to sit as a player. Um, there's nothing better. Nothing better than nothing a DM better. cut and And loose. I have so few things on the table. Uh-huh. <laughs> so <laughs> I, 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 we, we recorded the other night and I was just like, I have my laptop and my dice tray and there's a mic in front of my face. That's all I got to <laughs> fucking worry about. Today's the best day of my life. You're, uh, you're naked. Yes, you're naked am, in the eyes of the I DM. I am nude and running through the streets <laughs> telling everybody. Um, uh, yeah, we've been, uh, for recent live shows, um, Murph has been playing Pindergreens a little more. Mm-hmm. And this is like a, a, a minor peek behind the screen, but I think for Pindergreens, he never like made a character for him. He literally just uses like fire giant stats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think <laughs> Pindergreens' abilities are like, he can attack... He can throw a boulder, and he might have, like, one sort of, like, fire spell he can do, but it's, like, literally just that. And, like, (laughs) seeing the man unleashed like that is a pure experience. And I really, if you're a DM, if you're playing with a DM, I just recommend it. Like, give them that gift. If their birthday's coming up, if there's a holiday, (laughs) just, it it doesn't have to be a good one-shot. It doesn't have to be good or coherent. Just give them the gift of letting them just run around naked and free and just attacking. 100%. We want the ones and zeros. I don't want to think about all the numbers (laughs) in between, all the digits in between. I want one or I want zero. That's what I I want to add to the game. That's so funny that Pendergreens is so simplistic. (laughs) God, that's fucking funny. Um, Yeah, have you been... uh, So have you been... uh, uh, Who's who's been DMing... uh, uh, Bohemia uh, in in tours and stuff. If you, it sounds like he's gotten to uh, you know play Pendergreens and yeah, so obviously you guys are in Bohemia. Well, so we normally switch it up. Um, 
I think like if we if we're doing a run, it'll usually be like he'll do one night and I'll do another. Um, normally he kind of like does the majority, but like I'll I'll take like a night in between or two just to like give him a break because like we'll be like doing tours. Uh, you know, normally we do like two to three cities, but for Australia we did five, and it was mm-hmm. just kind of like a lot um, a lot of shows to handle. So like yeah. I kind of like pinch in a little bit. Um, and normally I'll run like a Trinavale, but like what I've been doing lately is, uh, this fun experiment where I'll put together like a session and then I'll run it with like the Trinavale characters. And then the next night I'll run it with the Bohemia characters That's or vice so versa. Smart. Yeah. So I it's was like go- a totally different experience. I was going to ask if you, how the, how the prep work was for tour because a session, a, a one shot alone is already a mm. lot of work. Yeah. And, you know, having to run a tour, it, you would, you know, as a creative, I would imagine that you don't want to just, you know, rehash a, even even a similar session. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was going to ask how you kind of take the workload off yourself in that way to all, while, while also still not pulling away from the quality. That's such a smart idea to to just kind of take something that's uh, uh, campaign agnostic and just be able to plug it in. God, yeah, that's smart. But- there's definitely like a little bit of like shifting and rewriting up top to be like, okay, you know, well, the, the Trinidad characters like are going to get to the adventure in a very different way than the yes. Bohemia characters. Usually through crime or indifference <laughs> exactly. to human life. Crime or like, you know, uh, just grand indifference. <laughs> One <laughs> yes. of the two. It's yes, brattiness for sure. Uh, yeah, it's usually them like complaining to, uh, you know, a flight attendant and then the, the plane just crashing yep. into wherever they're supposed to be. Yep. Something like that. But uh, yeah, it's really fun and it like keeps everyone on their toes to be like, all right, you know, we're familiar with like the setting. You know, uh, I, we try to make our, our live shows pretty plug and play. So like, you know, you could change out some of the the games or the like challenges that are happening within each one. Um, but no, it, it's been really fun. And it's also just like any excuse I can get to do more Trinaville stuff. I, I will take, uh, because they're, they're so fun and like, they're even more fun live. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a blast. Yeah. I was going to ask you cause Trinaville's had like a really long time to kind of grow and expand, you know, mm-hmm. not just in the main campaign, also with dozens of one shots, uh, the recent Bohemia meets Trinaville arc is one of my favorite things that you guys have ever oh done my gosh. Um, <laughs> Thank on you. the show. It was incredible. <laughs> Um, uh, and obviously you get to do it a lot with live shows. Um, are you, are there plans for you to like dive back into, you know, another long form Trinavale campaign or are you working on like a different, you know, world or setting for, or for future use at all? Um, yeah, I think we'll definitely do more like Trinavale one shots. I've realized that Trinavale works best when they are kind of like, ruining somebody else's world (laughs) as opposed to saving their own (laughs) so i kind of picture them they're like kind of fully um uh quantum leaping at this point you know they're just going from like place to place uh making a mess of things kind of they're they're fully like multiversal travelers at this point Mm -hmm. but uh i think like you know not to spoil anything for like the the three shot that we did but like i kind of set it up so that they're being like pursued by like this bigger force um this like other entity in the world so i think like there is definitely a there's a couple versions of a trinavale sequel arc that i have in mind um one of them i guess would be them like basically getting captured by uh you know this uh, this galactic entity that like wants to balance the universe and then forcing them to do their dirty work in kind of a suicide squad type Mm -hmm. way Mm, um and the other one is like them just kind of like basically on the run uh from like this uh the 
basically them on the run from like this entity uh and then like going from like basically planet to planet world to world and like just trying to hide uh so i don't know yeah there's a lot of like different versions of it but i definitely i would love to do you know a bigger trinityville thing at some point although i think like doing all these live shows has made me realize that they work really well in like short bursts mm -hmm. um so yeah. it's it's like hard to maintain for longer because you might start to hate them as opposed to just <laughs> loving to hate them well it's funny because it feels very <laughs> seinfeld where there's no way that you can imagine it ending up except for they're all in jail <laughs> <laughs> exactly, like, like, yeah. they've pissed off a lot of people along the way <laughs> and i had fun watching them do it but the people are pissed if we um, if we ever did like a final Trinavale episode, I think we would have to do it before a live studio audience, so you could just like get everyone clapping and applauding as they're put yeah. in jail. Yes, <laughs> yeah, 100%. as they're thrown into jail without trial, and everyone's yeah. just like, "Woo, woo!" <laughs> I love that because also you can feel the transition in their characters into that like new status of like, yeah. this, nope, this is what we do in the original Trinavale arc. You can feel them like find like where like where are we? Most most free in Trinavale. Oh, when we're <laughs> when we're ne'er do wells of the highest order. Um, uh, and I do think, uh, yeah, it all relates back to like letting your DM cut loose. Um, you just, it's it's really important, I think. Um, and if your if your table and your friend group like supports it, like a, a DM ecosystem, a D and D ecosystem, or just like a tabletop ecosystem where like everyone's kind of trading off and like getting to dm or like run stuff or like play different roles it's just it's really gonna maximize the amount of fun that you can have and it's also gonna like it's going to uh re-energize your dm in a way so i think it's really it's really worthwhile if you can swing it um but yeah i have been working on some other um like tabletop stuff uh i have like one sort of like mini session uh another like two or three episode thing that i want to run that could maybe be a uh a jumping off point for like a bigger series i had like this idea for like a kind of um i was kind of thinking of it as like a uh star wars gundam hybrid sort of universe uh that i would like to run at some what? point that's awesome that's so <laughs> rad yeah um that's fucking cool I ran like a full like three session arc uh, for some friends of mine as kind of like a test for it. And it went really well. I like built some like custom homebrew like mech rules uh, to make everything like a little more dangerous, but also like give them the ability to do way more damage. Uh, so it turned out well. I, I made like a bunch of like custom basically anime moves that they could do. Um, and it, it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm just kind of like, you know, at this point, you know, with all the, the touring we'd be doing, it's just hard to like find the time to run anything other than like the main campaign and all of the like uh, Patreon stuff that we have. Mm -hmm. um, but it's definitely on my, on my back burner. Cause like, I don't know, giant mechs kick ass. Uh, and I feel like they work really well in tabletop cause you're just like describing all the cool shit you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very excited uh, <laughs> for you to uh, a bring more uh, training veil and also expand into uh, you know, other universes and, and yeah. So stories. I think like, um, it'll be that like mini arc. And then I don't know, some stupid where like Trinaville characters meet Fred Flintstone. So like, look forward to that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The <laughs> Sonic one was also a big favorite of mine. Um, that was a great, uh, crossing over of worlds. Um, <laughs> I think that would be great too, because I know that Emily like hates the Flintstones and, uh, Charlie Brown specifically. What? So, Why? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's just an old, it, it was like a a joke from our old 8-Bit uh, Book Club podcast. It just mm -hmm. came up multiple times that she hated Charlie Brown. Um, and 
I'm just realizing this now. It would be perfect to let her just um, destroy Charlie Brown in a one shot. Yeah, that would be. There's uh, if you do that, there's mm-hmm. no way that that Emily isn't going to be the one pulling away the football uh, from. I think Linus. Uh, yeah, Linus the one who kicks the football. That's a hundred. That's the finishing move. No, it's that's Charlie the... Brown and Lucy is the one. That's uh, what Linus's, okay. That's uh, what sister, obviously. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I'm sorry. I forgot all my Charlie Brown. No, it's okay. Now we're in my comfort zone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So with all this touring and stuff that you guys are doing, just as like, you know, as a, as a fellow, uh, you know, actual play show, uh, Mm -hmm. I'm very curious as to like, kind of your, the, the nuts and bolts of kind of putting the show together and everything. Like how, how uh, often or how, or kind of, Maybe this is a better way of phrasing it. How kind of ahead of schedule do you guys kind of a have to keep and usually find yourself keeping, or is it something where it's like you know if if the train wobbles on the track a little bit, like we're, we're a little bit worried. <laughs> it is it is a little more of a seat of the pants operation than we would like. Uh, we've gotten better about it in recent years, though, uh, especially like with the increased amount of touring we're doing. Um, we've gotten into a good spot where like Jake, who lives in New York, will like come out uh, and he'll fly out to LA and mm-hmm. uh, we'll like record like a bunch in a go, which is kind of fun because it's just like, you really get to like dive into um, like the story and like have like session after session. Uh, and like, you don't have to kind of like work too hard to remember what's going on. You really get to kind of like live in the world for a bit. Yeah. Um, so like of late, we've been doing that. We've been kind of doing these like big batch recordings where we're just kind of like all hanging out for a week. And that's like, you know, the, the uh, clerical, parts of the job fall away and we get to focus on just like playing D and D. So that's been a lot of fun. And then we end up with like, you know, a big backlog. So yeah, it is just kind of like a constant shoveling coal into the fire and hoping that it gets us across the bridge. Yep. is maybe the way to describe it. Yes. I, I feel that we, mm-hmm. um, we started our show. Um, we started recording our show in September of 21. Mm-hmm. Um, and we cool were just time. like, we were, <laughs> cool time. Uh, we were, we were just like, how far, how, like, how far can we get before we essentially go mad and are like, we have to like release this to people. Um, so (laughs) we start, we've started six months ahead of our release. Wow. Um, Mm -hmm. and we've only like slow, like right now, as of right now in this moment, we're like four months ahead and that four months ahead scares the ever living shit out of me. Um, so that's why I was just curious. Cause I was like, I know it's going to catch up with me one day. And if Nadpod could do it, I know I could do it. But I was like, I need, I just, the, the countdown of eventually knowing that we're going to have to like keep up with it. Four months ahead is an unknowable dream. You are living in a pristine palace. I am so <laughs> we are covered I'm, in shit gazing at your brilliance. <laughs> I am so type A. I couldn't I was like there's no fucking way that I don't get get at least like many months ahead of my recordings. I mean that's why I'll like the DM is kind of the the perfect uh skill and you know kind of like mental grouping for running a show as well because like you're scheduling people anyway yeah. you're already corralling like yeah. you're a producer already it's just a, a it fits perfectly it's a, a real glove of a job for a dm yeah speaking of uh kind of the producer role do you usually take on that role for Trinivale episodes um i think is it murph who does a lot of the who does all the editing and and uh mixing for the show 
Um, yes, for, for the campaign yet? episodes, uh, Murph does the lion's share of uh, the mixing and editing. Uh, Emily does the music, of course. Yes. Um, for Trinavale, I edit them, uh, and then I, I usually have a, an editor named uh, Trevor Lyons who does like a first pass, then I'll kind of do a content pass, and then um, I've been working with this uh, guy, uh, Daniel Ramos, who's an incredible uh, like engineer and uh, composer. Uh, who just does like a lot of amazing music and sound effects and sound design for Trinavale. Awesome. Um, so it's really, um, it it's like, I I feel like it's a really ideal setup where like I get to kind of get in there and you know make it sound exactly how I want and then I pass it on to him and he like fills it out. Yeah. Um, just like kind of makes it and and that's something I always wanted with Trinavale was it for it to feel like just like fully kind of like bursting with sound. Um, Mostly to disguise from my bad DMing, <laughs> but you're not a bad uh, DM. <laughs> Stop it, <laughs> Dad! Knock it uh, off. Just yeah, it, I I found that like you know just some good like sound effects and uh, music will like really, really if you need to like get from point A to point B if you like forgot to describe something or uh, if you like you know we're we're fumbling at any point just like throw in some like crashing waves or some yep. birds chirping and it'll really get you there <laughs> yes it really sets the mood a, a loop uh -huh. sound of some sort for <laughs> sure um that's another thing that i've always really appreciated about your guys's show is that it, it the <clears throat> the actual like product itself like the the nitty-gritty you know essentials of what makes a show a show mm -hmm. it has always like felt like very hands-on from you guys um yeah and uh you know the fact that you know you guys stay like nope we're like keeping in like so compact and and with our fingers on the pulse of the show um also really shows through and uh, you know yeah. adds to that genuine sense we like to keep our hands on the football and if someone tries to kick it away we're going to pull that football away <laughs> yeah, here we are here we are back again <laughs> um fantastic uh well one of the things that um uh, I would I would imagine you know sparked us uh, getting here to this conversation was that mm -hmm. some people listening may not know this. Um, <clears throat> uh, not only is our podcast based out of Nashville, Tennessee, you are originally from Nashville. That's uh, right. What was your experience like growing up here and kind of you know developing an interest in the entertainment focused career path? Um. So when I was in Nashville, it wasn't cool yet. <laughs> Um, it was just a, a place to live and be uh, that also had a big country music scene. So I guess like my early experiences with like entertainment were uh, basically just like country music that I didn't like on the radio all the time. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I definitely, I've come around on, on country music, certainly, but I feel like I, I grew up not liking it as much just because it was so uh, prevalent. Mm -hmm. Um, but now I feel like, you know, and there's like country music is, is diversified so much now, uh, that there's 100%. like different veins of it. Uh, there's something for everyone to enjoy, but, uh, yeah, I guess like, I remember very early on the only like animation, uh, studio in Nashville, this has probably changed, uh, at the, this is probably changed now, but back then I remember I like was so excited cause I got to go on a tour of like the VeggieTales studio. <laughs> Oh, cool. <laughs> Which I think is is uh, based in Nashville. Maybe it isn't anymore, but at the time, I don't think uh, it, well, like I don't some know aspect if it is. of 
Sorry, I, I'm so sorry. I don't know if it yeah. is actually because some of our some of my co-stars on the show grew up in uh, Illinois and yeah. went to school with the creators of VeggieTales Kids. So like Damn. they were driven home. Like Zach, I think was driven home one time by by Larry remember, the Cucumber. I don't. I think it was Bob the Tomato. Actually, I think Mike Naraki. I think that's his name. Okay. Um, uh, uh, so it might be there. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just that that's a funny coincidence. <laughs> yeah no we're wow connected by the veggie tales <laughs> isn't everyone <laughs> <laughs> i mean we're all connected uh in our love of god and uh spirit the spirit of christ uh 100%. but no that is so that was like my my initial experience because i i knew i wanted to do art and like animation uh to some degree when i was growing up there and i was just like oh it's just just the veggie tales. Okay, cool. That mm -hmm. could work. I could maybe do that. Yeah. <laughs> I can I can draw a zucchini, I guess. <laughs> um, so yeah, I feel like for me, the fun thing has been coming back to Nashville and seeing like how it's grown and changed. Um in good ways and bad ways, I would say. But like mm -hmm. uh it, it's really fun. It's like kind of like become this own like massive professional city in its own right and it's really cool how, how long were, were you born in nashville or have you just moved no, there recently or no i'm a transplant like everybody else in this city sure. uh i originally am from spokane washington um mm -hmm. and then i moved here about nine years ago at this point um, awesome so but that's what i'm saying is it's like it's become a hub it's become like a place for like creative people to like gather um, and I think that's really cool. And it's like been very fun to see how that's like changed the city uh, for the better. And like, I don't know, there's like much more, there's like a bigger diversity of like creative outlets in Nashville now. It's not so like siloed and uniform, um, which yeah. is really cool. Yeah, I, I definitely kind of showed up in the city at a time mm -hmm. where that change was in effect, but still starting and, mm -hmm. and like, even from five years ago and then, you know, four years ago before that, the city feels like wildly different, wildly <laughs> yeah. different from when I showed up. Um, but it definitely like it, it is still kind of kept that small town feel while still, you know, giving a lot of access to, uh, uh, you know, new industries and, and um, uh, different people of all walks of life, which is fantastic. I, re I really love living here. Um, um, uh, and I love this city, um, uh, uh, kind of jumping off of that. I know in our email, I, I, I let you know that our current campaign, well, actually by the time this comes out, our that uh -huh. campaign will be finished. Um, but, uh, our campaign two is actually set in Nashville and kind of a real life, um, uh, real world meets magic kind of vibe. Uh, I know you said you wanted to ask me some questions about it. Um, more than happy <laughs> to tell you about it, but before I do, You've kind of gotten to explore a little bit of your own take on Fantasy Nashville with your live show uh, with Trinnyvale a oh. little bit, um, <laughs> yeah. which was fantastic about an island of uh, bachelorette parties, I believe it was. Yeah, um, it was. I think it was like specifically the Trinnyvale triplets uh, had to go to a, a bachelorette island. Um, you might remember the premise better than I do. I feel like they instantly leave my mind as soon as I <laughs> spit them out on no, I stage. Get it. I think that's it. I think that's it. They had to go to like Batchville or something. I think you called it. Um, exactly. <laughs> so if you were to like, if you were to take Nashville, like yeah. in it's like kind of real world setting and mm -hmm. add that fantasy or D and D friendly element to it. Um, what would be your go-to thing to kind of bring wow. life or make magical from the city? Okay. So I think like, the fun thing about Nashville is it does have that kind of like, um, 
almost like you, I, I think I'm always instantly drawn to like the Parthenon, um, just because it's such like a weird thing it sh that should not be there. <laughs> So I feel like if I'm creating like a, um, it, it, and I should back up a second and let people know, like there's a replica of the Greek Parthenon in Nashville, like a full scale replica. You go inside, there's like a golden statue of Athena and everything. Mm -hmm. It was built for the bicentennial celebration, I believe. And then like, or maybe it was built, it was built for a world's fair, state fair. Yes. It was built for some sort of fair a while back. And then they like finalized it and actually like finished it and fully rendered it in like stone. Mm -hmm. uh, for the bicentennial celebration of Nashville. Um, and it's like, it's honestly like really cool to go and look at because it is like, unlike the Parthenon in Greece, it's like complete and finished and like a full scale replica. Um, that's right. I'm coming for you, Greece. <laughs> Eat shit, <laughs> Athens. Well, watch out. All the Tanner's on a um, no-fly list for Greece. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Uh, but no, it's like this really weird thing. And I think like, if I were to build like a kind of mythical setting for Nashville, maybe I would connect it to that where it's like this, um, intruding presence that has like resulted in a lot of like, uh, creative art and industry. They're like almost like some sort of like, uh, mythical muse stone that has unleashed like creativity into the air of Nashville. Cool. Um, because like from that, like, you know, when I think of like ancient Greece and like mythology, I think a lot about like, you know, uh, especially not Athena so much, but like, a lot of the Greek gods are associated with like, you know, arts and culture and like the muses and everything like that. So I feel like you have like this sort of grand and the Parthenon itself, I believe it's got Athena inside, but like there is like the, um, oh my God, I'm forgetting all of my history, but like on the outside of it, on like the triangular top of the roof, there's like all of the gods on display. Yes. yes yeah. Um, so like you kind of have that built in that there's like all of these like, you know, like living gods, like walking in Nashville and inspiring people in various ways. Uh, and I feel like maybe I would base it off of that because I feel like any good fantasy landscape is like you got a normal landscape and then you got something a little funky happening. Mm -hmm. You got like, you know, a volcano where you can uh, forge a magic ring. You know, you've got like obelisks floating in the sky. You need something like that. So, yeah, just like a like all of a sudden one day like the gods decide to build a house in your city <laughs> it's kind of what i'm thinking i love that that's so yeah. bad um <clears throat> that's su that's super cool our our show um i don't know if you had any i i, I know you said you want to ask questions I, I i know i'm interviewing you don't i have so like many questions yeah anything. please what, do, like, yeah, what's 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 let's off just the treat top this. of your head because, I mean, I, I, I'm going to promote this episode when it comes out. And, like, maybe people are coming to this and haven't listened to uh, that campaign yet. So let's treat this, like, as a promo for it because I'm very curious. Like, yeah, tell me what is, like, the what is like the fantasy Nashville that exists within uh, your world? What's the name of this campaign, by the this way? This campaign is called The Chapter of Iris. It is mm -hmm. technically – it is a sequel campaign. The State Flower. Campaign yes. Thank you. Thank you mm -hmm. very much. Um uh, it's called the chapter of iris it's a sequel campaign to our first campaign evergreen um mm -hmm. our first campaign evergreen is uh set in my hometown of spokane washington and it's about um some high school seniors discovering the hidden world of magic and it. it's kind of a coming of age story um which kind of led naturally to me writing something um that was more reflective of kind of uh, I, I wanted to write something very personal for the first one, and for the second campaign, I wanted to continue that feeling. So it's kind of it's kind of a heavy story about kind of finding your place and mm -hmm. and finding self acceptance amidst 
really unprecedented and crazy times. Uh, the Essentially, the premise of the chapter of Iris is the characters from the first campaign are called to Nashville um, by a magical council where mm-hmm. they show up and this magic council is kind of very corrupt um, and... Uh, they find themselves a part of this council, but not super welcome on it. And they have to kind of juggle this political rigmarole of, you know, mm-hmm. having to kind of de- defend their own safety and everything and also find their place in a magical world that kind of begs them to be important figures in it. Um, it focuses a lot on um, one of the big, one of the main uh, uh, conflicts of it is that there's different arch beings. Like there's an archmage, an arch druid, mm-hmm. um, they're all uh, these arch beings are all part of this council uh, 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 with their, you know, expanded magical powers and everything. And kind of the one of the, you know, more antagonistic uh, uh, NPCs in it is the arch faith. And there's this big debate of whether or not the arch faith should be allowed on this American council or if that's mm. kind of breaking the separation of church and state and that sort of thing and reflects a lot of kind of real world stuff that that's um, been happening and been a story for us to kind of process, uh, you know, our own experience growing up in, in the world in that regard. So that's yeah. kind of the premise yeah. set up of, of the chapter of Iris. And also potions are biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 100%. Y'all, um, it's crazy here. Th- this slight, slight spoiler. If anyone doesn't want anything like skip ahead 30 seconds, okay. um, <laughs> I do introduce, you'll, you'll appreciate that. I do introduce a dragon named Prince who is a half dragon, half hot chicken dragon. Uh, <laughs> uh, in, it's in so perfect. Yes, hundred <laughs> percent. I was. I knew I wanted to give him a dragon this this campaign, and so I was like, "That's what I got to do. I got to make it a hot chicken dragon." <laughs> if you lick him, you instantly have to shit. <laughs> God, I want to DM for you so bad. It's on the stat block. I don't know what to tell you. It's there. <laughs> I wrote it right there. Can you guys not see? I see S H I T. Do it. Roll a con save with disadvantage. Oh, um, that's awesome. Uh, so yeah, yeah, how much how much do they interact with like uh, Nashville in its current state? Like, is it is it like a is it more of like a fully fantasy version of Nashville, or is it like are they like going? No, down it's to like Broadway? it's like real world. It's 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 very. Are they Harry freaking going to Tootsie's? It's straight up. I if they would have wandered into Tootsie's, they could have. Wow. Um, I think I think in our first session, they like one of them is like kind of scanning the streets from Nudie's uh, roof <laughs> rooftop. Um, uh, it's, it's very much like, here's the real world and they know about the secret magic world underneath it. Um, but there's no, like nothing's changed. Like if they mentioned to me that they wanted to go to a specific place of business (laughs) or place in the city, I was like, yeah, you can go there for sure. Um, (laughs) I wanted it to feel as like really tangible and like, um, it's got the aspects of it that are very heavy are, are interesting to get into because, um, it feels so the setting is so grounded yeah. um, in real life. It kind of makes the emotional aspects of the story really like very tangible. Um, uh, and, and so I, you know, I wanted it to have that, uh, 
that weight to it and the intense parts of the campaign also just feel very my players are happy that it's over at this point because <laughs> i have just been emotionally torturing them for 24 <laughs> episodes so they're happy to have, to have uh, concluded the story at <laughs> i feel like i would have uh, done a, a very bad job if i were a player in this campaign because i'd have just been constantly going to restaurants and being upset that they're like closed down now <laughs> <laughs> that is that is super fair i'm pretty sure we go to i'm pretty sure we go to exit in um we go to exit in in, in one all right episode, all right and at the because we record so far ahead of time we were like thank you know exit in almost disappeared thank god it didn't disappear and then now it's gone like <laughs> it's like not there anymore and i'm like god damn it uh we also like plugged some other restaurant that we loved at the end of an episode and like the next week it closed down and i was like oh yeah no it's a real turnover <laughs> yes yeah 100 percent um yeah i feel like i would have been like i want to go to the Steinmart and then check out the chinese buffet across from the dults <laughs> and then I, can't, uh, no, I don't know if any I can't of those help you out. <laughs> that's, how, that's how not great I am. Oh God. That's how far behind I am. Um, well, uh, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, um, it's an incredible thing to kind of bring your city to life in, in a, you know, fantasy setting. That's cool. Uh, and it's also like, I can imagine as a DM, like the inspiration is all around you. You're just kind of like walking around and like living and experiencing the city. And like, you can kind of just, like write what you see and then like you know twist it in in the ways that you want for the story so that's like i i love that it like it must make uh prepping not easier but like more fun i guess yeah it's it's interesting to like bring to life things that especially because you know my my friends on the show or have also mm -hmm. been here eight or nine years just like me um so it's also fun to just kind of bring stuff to life and and when you know when I mention the hot chicken dragon, they go, <laughs> okay, I get it, and they see how I've turned something on its head. So that was a fun <laughs> aspect of it. As we prepare more stuff, I'm honestly Love. scared to move away from real life settings mm -hmm. where I have to like come up with stuff from the ground up. I'm like, oh no, am I a bad DM? Did I, <laughs> did I wait to like lean too heavily on all the pieces are already there for me? I just got to color them in. One thing I will say about uh, DMing uh, for live audiences is like, you know that experience where like you say something that you've written and then your players all groan? Mm -hmm. Imagine like 600 people all groaning at once. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god oh god that is scary uh, it's a, but it's also a drug fun. my friend it's a, no it's a hundred percent a drug hundred <laughs> percent um so kind of jumping off into like a, a a different you know category of conversation um mm -hmm. obviously you're an incredible artist um with a lot of talent that you've gotten oh, to use cheers. on uh many different projects throughout your career mm -hmm. um are there any favorite like creations or ideas of yours that you've gotten to implement in D and D, whether as a player oh. or DM that originated from a sketch or a visual before you put any words or mechanics to it? That's a really good question. Um, and I don't think so. I feel like it's almost the opposite. Like D and D is like the, the brainstorming session for things that like, you know, I, I will want to draw or almost like it's a, um, it's like a different brain space and a different exercise that overlaps a little bit. But like, for me, one of my favorite parts about, um, drawing and like, you know, uh, making cartoons and comics and stuff is like that, those early conversations where you get to like talk through something and like 
maybe crystallize it into what it's going to be. Um, so I really, I mean, I love kind of the, the jumping off and like the writing, uh, aspect of like, you know, creativity as well. So like for me, it's more, it's more freeing because I just get to do that and I don't have to worry about drawing it, I guess. Yeah. I, yeah. I wasn't sure. Cause our, cause, um, Nathan is a mm -hmm. cast member and friend on the show is a, also an incredible artist. And a lot of mm -hmm. the stuff that he comes up with for his campaign on the show, he comes up with visually first. Like he, mm. he will have, uh, the, uh, that campaign is kind of a sci-fi, uh, ish campaign that originated with no ideas or writing or anything, but he drew a vending machine with hairy human legs. Um, mm. and that was kind of <laughs> like the kickoff for the rest of the campaign that he kind of it was inspired by from that yeah. visual. Um, so I wasn't sure uh, what your process was like on that, but I know you've talked with, I think in an interview with uh, Brendan Lee Mulligan, you've actually talked yeah. about how you um, could usually don't like solidify your characters into art until like a, a decent bit of time, you know, spent as the character. Yes. And like, that is very true. And again, like th that feeds back into what I was saying, or I like to kind of have, things be a little like squishier and looser. And that's what I like about the podcast is it's like, it's interpretable. Um, and like, yeah, it is. I, I feel like I'm kind of like chipping away the stone to make the statue. Um, but that's, I think it's like two specifically different experiences. Like as a, as a player, I like things to be loose. And I feel like I often don't draw things until like much later, almost like I say, like, it's like a reflective exercise. Mm. Um, I, I feel like I rarely draw anything like early on. Um, like I, I did for Saul, my character in campaign three, I did some like rough drawings. Um, but like now I find like, you know, whenever I switch like a subclass or like, you know, like I hit a new level, I like to do a drawing kind of like as it's almost like a little treat or reward for myself. Um, but as a DM, I feel like the experience is very different and I do actually do a lot of like, uh, drawing. It's never like a ton of like exploratory drawing. It's always like very functional. Mm. Um, specifically for Trinavale, like I drew the map for Trinavale early on. Um, the map, <laughs> like I, it didn't really come into play too much as other than as like a just way for me to keep track of like where they were in the world and where things were happening. Um, but I drew like the map and I drew like characters and stuff like that. And it was like, it's a very good anchoring tool I found. Um, and as of late, I've been doing, uh, I, I was telling you, I did like a little like sci-fi uh, three shot with some friends to test out an idea. Mm -hmm. And that was my first experience, like doing a lot of drawing up top to show them. I think it also, the fact that we're like purely a, um, uh, you know, an audio medium, I don't do a lot of drawings because like, you know, if I showed those to the players while they were playing, they would just be like, wow, that's cool. Nobody can see this. Yeah. But um <laughs> Getting to play with people just like at a table for fun, um, like just doing like a home game, I do end up drawing more for that. And I'm actually in a uh, a campaign right now uh, with some friends. We're doing like a Strixhaven campaign, uh, and it's like all artist friends um, from like uh, various parts of the animation industry. Uh, and while we're drawing, or and while we're playing, people will just be like on their iPads, like drawing and sketching. And we've got like a full discord of sketches going and it's it's a very different experience so i think i i came into it and this is a little bit like just my my personal journey i came into um podcasting and dnd &D at a point when i was feeling like not burned out on like art but just like i had found uh, i was working at big city greens and i had found like a pretty solid outlet for my art um and you know i, I spent like all day drawing and it felt nice to have something that was a little looser and like a little um 
more ephemeral that I didn't need to like commit to paper. Um, but now that I'm like not uh, storyboarding every day anymore, I'm like more focused full time on NADPOD, like I've been feeling that itch again. So yeah, I think this is like a long circuitous answer to say like art and podcasting are kind of these like two halves of a sphere. And I feel like they have to like exist in balance for me. But I'm, and I'm finding myself more drawn to like the art side at the moment. So yeah, I, I have been doing a little more drawing uh, and it has been informing my my podcasting a little more than it used to. Yeah, yeah, it's... it's um. It's very interesting how TTRPG is a medium in a mm -hmm. creative aspect. And like, I've talked about this before on other interviews, how like, um, like NADPOD is art. Um, telling a story in that regard will always mm -hmm. be, you know, art. Um, and how the, you know, reach of TTRPG and the different things that, uh, you know, it gets into and touches can be so inspiring because they mm -hmm. did like, can take you to places that you never would have thought you'd, you'd gone before, mm -hmm. um, and kind of unlock these different, uh, you know, inspirations, um, to draw from, uh, cut last, last question for you also kind of, a uh, uh, hard right turn, but in terms of like, sure uh, inspirations. Um, you, uh, welcomed a child into your family a couple years ago. Yes. Um, you, uh, me, <laughs> yes, me, me, <laughs> but my, uh, my, uh, my sibling, uh, my sibling, <laughs> you welcomed into your, into <laughs> right. your home, uh, a few years ago, uh, has like fatherhood kind of affected the way that you approach art in all aspects, whether it be, uh -huh. you know, NADPOD or, you know, your drawing or anything, or how is, how is that experience kind of from the artist perspective, like, you know, really shaped, you know, that aspect of your life and that, that source of inspiration. Well, let me tell you, it's a real good cheat. Um, for when you don't have anything to do with your kid, you can just be like, I'm going to draw Ariel from the little mermaid for you. And that's just like, oh. that's going to kill some time. You're going to be impressed with me as a person. You're going to put me a little <laughs> higher on that pedestal that I was already on. And then boom, free coloring page. So it's really come in handy. It's, it's come in clutch in that regard where it's just like, if she wants to see a kitty, I can produce that. I can provide in that specific way. Wow. So it's like an ego boost for me is what I'm getting at. Yeah. <laughs> it's fatherhood. <laughs> fatherhood makes you feel better about yourself. You got to get up on that pedestal yeah. above that Got to climb. I mean, uh, you're already on one. You feed them. Uh, where are they going to get food <laughs> elsewhere? <laughs> but uh, no, I think like if anything, you know, just one of the necessities of uh, being a parent, you have to kind of like compartmentalize a little more. So I think it's like made each part of my life feel a little more like special and um, having to kind of like ha having to structure my time a little more has made like each part of it feel better. Where like when I'm spending time with my kid, I'm like, this is like, you know, me and this is uh, this is uh, time. This is like me and Sydney time. Uh, and that feels really nice. And like, I know that that is like a special moment that doesn't need to be like impeded by anything else. And when I'm working, I'm like now I'm working and like, I'm getting to do like podcasting and drawing and stuff that I really enjoy. Uh, and it's just like, I feel like it's, it's become this thing where you kind of have to like wear different pants and like different hats um, or different shirts, whatever piece of clothing mm -hmm. you feel is a different outfit for, for sure. Yeah. But like, I don't know. It's like in the same way that you play different roles on a, on a podcast or like if you're, if you're a DM, you have to play different roles. It feels very similar to that. So I guess it's like, again, a long walk to me saying, um, 
you, I have different roles in my life now and it feels, my life feels richer because of it. It's become a bigger spectrum and I really appreciate that. And it's like allowed me to become just a, a fuller person in a lot of ways. Um, who's a little more tired. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can imagine. No, that's a really like, I've never thought about that. Like kind of mm-hmm. beautiful sentiment of being aware of the different, you know, parts of yourself in general as well. Yeah. And, you know, I think, um, kind of just, you know, growing into yourself as a person that that's a very important aspect of life, especially when, you know, uh, I'm sure as a, as a creative, um, you can relate to the time in your twenties where you're like, Oh God, well, I got to figure out who I am. And, and then there's, <laughs> yeah. the, and that's the one thing that I do. And I don't know anything. I got nothing to latch on to and to, you know, have the multiple different, you know, sources of nourishment in your life. Um, yeah. And kind of know that they're different, like not let, like uh, not, not letting the food touch, but like knowing that the food like naturally doesn't touch is mm-hmm. an interest, like a very interestingly beautiful thing. That's uh very enriching to know that you can accomplish all these different aspects, um, uh, kind of separate from each other. That's yeah. a, that's a beautiful sentiment. It's very, it's like, you know, putting up a big display of cans at the grocery store as your twenties and then a toddler running into the cans and knocking them all over is like your, your thirties and like, you know, like your later, uh, your later life experience. And mm-hmm. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Cause then all the cans are filled with, uh, carbonation and you don't know which ones are going to explode. <laughs> I'm I cannot relate to bit. the stress of parenting. I'm losing I, it a little bit. I, can, I cannot relate. I cannot relate. Uh, well, I hope that at the very least, our little chat here got you a little bit of that compartmentalization <laughs> and break as a parent that you uh, need and deserve. Um, Caldwell, thank you so much for oh my gosh, uh, thank you on the show. Um, it it really truly is an honor for us, um, mm-hmm. and it's uh, so exciting to. Um, uh, uh, have you on and just call you a friend of the show now. So we, we really appreciate it. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for letting me ramble, uh, for nigh on an hour. Um, I hope that you have uh, a nice weekend. Um, you as it's well, it's Friday, Friday today. Yeah. What's um, up? And yeah, enjoy Nashville. Oh, I will. Oh, I will. Um, on our way out of here, uh, this episode will come out in July. If that informs anything, is there anything on the weekend sh- though? It on- better <laughs> still be the weekend. You better not <laughs> I, fuck me and put this on on a Tuesday, dude. Shit. I do think I released these on Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> I put these out on Mondays as like bonus content. I want to look like an month. idiot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I'll put it out on a fucking Friday just for you. Uh, <laughs> it's still going to be on Monday. Ruin your schedule. People are going to be laughing. Oh God. Uh, is there anything you want to shout out or talk about on your way out of here? Ooh, um, gosh. Uh, well, listen to NADPOD, if you don't mind. Um, I'm trying to think if I have anything else uh, that I would like to plug. You know what? I've been doing a thing where I just kind of like write down things that I've enjoyed, uh, especially like things that my friends are making. Um, so I'll just plug one of those randomly. Um, my friend Tony Wilson has this Instagram that he has made called Friends of the Museum. Um, and it's all these like little like miniatures that he's building uh, like these little like miniature sets, like practical miniature sets that he's like 
basically using uh, for like little like sketches and vignettes and videos. Cool. Um, and the artistry on them is insane and gorgeous. Uh, and it's just, they're really fun to look at. And Tony's also just like a very funny guy. Uh, just a beautiful weirdo. So like all of the videos are like very silly and worth watching. Um, so please go check out uh, Friends of the Museum on Instagram. I'll link, I'll link to that in the description if anyone wants to go check that out. Great. Um, thank you again, Caldwell. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And uh, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to Friends and Fables. We'll see you next time. Hey, bye-bye. Bye-bye.